Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. I get the chance to continue the series that we started last week that we're in, and the Pastor Rocky's going to pick up and finish out uh, over the next couple of weeks. But our series is called Own It, and our whole idea behind own it is that we wanted it to hold hands with and kind of correspond to the core values of Destiny Community Church, the things that we believe God has put us as a church here for and the things that we feel are really important for us to do well. And those things are called the four D's of destiny. I want to remind you of those things. I know we talked a little bit about it last week, but just as a refresher, the four D's of destiny, our core values are discovery. We believe that it's so important to give people an opportunity to discover a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's why last week we talked about owning our faith. The second D of destiny is dependence. We believe that it's so important for us to depend on other believers. We need to depend on those relationships, build those relationships. And so today we're going to be talking about owning our relationships. And then the third D of destiny is development. We believe that it's important for us to develop in God's word, not only in corporate settings like this, but also on our own and and let our faith grow deep. And then finally, direction, finding the direction that God has for our lives and then using that for for his purpose in ministry. And so uh, this has been a a great uh, series to get into, to to really kind of discover what we're about as DCC. And last week, as we talked about owning your faith. We talked a lot about how when we own something versus when we rent something, it is a totally different mindset. We treat things very, very differently. When we are only renting or borrowing, it's easy to walk away from something, but ownership is is totally different. And, And we asked the question of ourselves last week, do we really own our faith? Do we really know what we believe, or are we just borrowing someone else's faith? Because if we're all living on a borrowed faith, it's easy to walk away when hard times come or when doubts fill our mind. And so we've got to make sure that we're owning our faith. And we talked about the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well and her encounter with Jesus and how that changed everything for her. And she had this very real encounter with Jesus Christ himself. And you couldn't shake her faith because of that. And we found out that we don't own our faith by following rules or by fitting in, but by falling in love with Jesus. And when times get tough, we know that we cannot afford to depend on somebody else to experience God for us and then put our faith in their faith. We have to put our faith in Jesus Christ. We have to have those experiences, and we have to experience Jesus Christ for ourselves. And so we're going to continue the series again today by talking about owning our relationships, ownership in our relationships. So if you have your Bible and you want to turn with me, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, in the book of Ephesians, it's written by Paul, who wrote a lot of the New Testament. And he's actually writing this to the church in Ephesus while he is imprisoned in Rome. And while he's writing this, the first three chapters of this book, uh, it's a real page turner. Because in three chapters, what he basically does is he breaks down line by line exactly what price was paid for us, what Jesus accomplished on the cross and by raising from the dead and all of those things. He breaks all of that down in the first three books of, or the first three chapters, I'm sorry, in this book. And then he starts into chapter four, and this is kind of where we're going to camp out today for a little bit. And so as he starts in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1, he says, I therefore, and that four, I'm sorry, that therefore connects this passage of scripture to the last three books. And so basically what he's saying, in light of everything that Jesus Christ has done for us, so that's that therefore, I, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called 
with all hum humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, we need your word. Your word is like breath to our lungs this morning. And so, God, as we dive into your word, I pray that you would illuminate our path. I pray that you would show us the way to go. And, God, that you, you would be glorified in everything that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When uh, Deanna and I first got married uh, 11 years ago, um, we moved into this house. Actually, I was living in the house uh, prior to our, uh, to our wedding, and then when we got married, Deanna moved in, and it was this old, little, and I say little, I mean it was maybe 900 square feet, the whole house. It was a three-bedroom, two-bath house, and it was this old little bungalow-style home in this old part of town in Largo, Florida, in Pinellas County. And when I say the, the, the part of town was old, I mean the streets were still paved with brick. Uh, and so it was really cool. It was really quaint. Um, and there were, you know, all these, these great like original amenities in this little house that was built probably back in the 50s or the 60s. And so there was all this really great stuff about it. And it's our first home. You know, there's just something about your first home. We look back fondly at that little tiny space that we shared together. And uh, there was a lot of great stuff about it. It had the original hardwood floors in this house, which were, you know, beat up in spots. And you could tell there was termite damage in other spots. But overall, it was, it was nice. It was quaint. And it was a great, great starter home until one fateful night. I had to go to work early the next morning, and so I went to bed earlier than Deanna. Deanna stayed up. She was watching TV. I was sawing logs in the bedroom. And uh, Deanna tells, tells the story that, uh, that she's sitting there watching TV. There's no other lights on in the house, just the TV. And she sees a bug fly by. Well, it's Florida. It's an old house. Bugs happen, right? I mean, who's not had a bug in your house in Florida? And so she doesn't really think much of it. A couple minutes pass by, another bug. And so now she thinks, all right, well, there might be something to this. Let me kill this thing. It's getting annoying. So she flips on the light that's right next to her on the sofa, and she flips the light on, and all of a sudden, hundreds of insects start swarming and flying around the light that she just turned on, right? And so my new bride freaks out, right, obviously, screams and comes and wakes me up, and she's like, you know, I, I don't even remember what she said, I just remember panic. And so there's this moment of panic, and you know what it's like when you get woken up when you are sleeping really hard, and you don't know what day it is, you don't know what your name is, you don't know where you live, you don't know anything? Like, that's where I was. So I'm in this, like, in-between state, and I walk out, and I just see bugs flying everywhere in our home, and then I start to freak out, because there's no script for this thing. Like, I don't know. Like, I've killed a bug at a time, maybe two. Like, I'll be a warrior in the home with a spider, and I'll be the man. But when they outnumber you like 300 to like two, what do you do? I don't know. Do we burn the place down and just run? Like, do they, do they now own the house? Like, do we just give them like, you know, I don't know. I don't know what happens now, right? And so we did the only thing that we knew to do. We left the house. <laughs> 
One o'clock in the morning, one o'clock in the morning, we leave the house and close the door real tight behind us and think, I don't know, I mean, maybe if they don't try and follow us, maybe we can get away from them. And so we just start driving around to look for a store that's open. It's one o'clock in the morning, we're driving around, we find a CVS that's open 24 hours a day, and so we just start walking up and down the halls. And I, I, don't, I don't remember, I would like to think that I was just praying, saying, God, lead me to something, something that's gonna help this problem. And I remember leaving the store with a can of bug spray that was okay to use inside the house. I think, I don't remember, um, a can of bug spray and, and a portable electronic bug zapper in the other hand, right? So we purchased these items, which they could have sold me for way more money than I paid in that moment, and went back to the house, and I, as the true husband and warrior I am, I went in with bug zapper in one hand and spray can in the other, and I was spraying these things like just out of midair, and they were dropping everywhere. We hung up the, the bug zapper in our dining room. I mean, how, how great is that, right? Like... It's hard, it's hard to like, you know, get full of yourself when there's a bug zapper in the dining room. Like, you want to be humble, hang a bug zapper in your dining room because you have hundreds of bugs flying around in your little rented home that you're living in, right? And, and so it, it, it kind of took care of the problem, and the next day I, I realized what had happened after a little bit of research and talking to some people. Apparently, I did not know this, and I am not a bug expert, and so most of you probably know a lot more about this than I do, and maybe some of you have already figured this out. Termites... Uh, if they're active, they swarm at certain times in their life cycles. And I don't know what the life cycle is, but I know when it was that day, right? And so there were hundreds of termites that were living and eating this old, old house that we were living in, and they all just decided at one time, charge! I don't know what the like battle cry was, they all just started swarming and going crazy, right? And, and so, like, we figured that out. And so what I would do from then on is I would walk by the places that I, that I knew that they were coming out. They were in one of the walls, and they were in some of that beautiful original hardwood flooring. And so I would spray every once in a while those areas and hope to, like, contain them in the wall and then hope, you know, like, hope that that bug zapper got any of them that might just kind of escape that whole thing. But listen, I did not own that home right? In fact, that home was going to be demolished in a few months. It's the reason we were renting it for so cheap is because the, the high school that was adjacent to the property that we were on, they bought that whole block. They paid everybody for that whole block, and they were going to level it. And so we weren't going to put any money into this place. We weren't going to do anything like extensive to fix it up. So all I would do is I would just take care of the symptoms of these bugs, right? I would spray it. I'd put the bug zapper up, but there was no way I was going to do the hard work of ripping up flooring and ripping out walls and replacing framing and old wood structure and all of that stuff, I just dealt with the symptoms. And I really feel like when we don't take ownership of our relationships, that when things go wrong in our relationships with each other, we just want to deal with the symptoms, right? We just want to cover over the awkwardness. We just don't want to deal with the stuff, but we don't want to do the hard work of actually doing repairs, confronting and forgiving and loving that other person. And so today, when we talk about ownership in our relationships, we're really talking about being willing to do whatever it takes to make sure that our relationships with each other line up with this plan and the design of God. And God has a ton to say about our relationships with each other in his word. We know that from the very beginning of time, we as human beings are created in the very image of God. 
And God's image, because we bear God's image, we are like him relationally, and God desires relationship. God desires relationship so much that he created humanity to have that relationship with us. God desires relationship so much that if you read the Old Testament of the Bible, it's really one big story of God trying to get back the relationship that he created when sin entered the world and separated God and man. And then when you read the New Testament, the entire New Testament is a story of just how far God is willing to go to restore that relationship that was once lost by sin. We, because we are created in God's image, we are hardwired to desire relationship. We, it's, it's just in us, it's hardwired in us to desire community and unity with not only God, but with each other. We have this desire built into us to, to want to connect and want to develop these relationships. And so when Paul is imprisoned in Rome, and he's writing this letter to the church in Ephesus. He starts to, to talk about how we're supposed to treat each other, and especially in verse 3. And I, I love this verse, and so we're going to kind of expound on this verse just for the next few minutes. In verse 3, it says, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Uh, this verse, basically, Paul is saying, listen, this whole unity that you have with each other as Christ followers, it's already there. It's already established. It's already been done. We are unified. There's this, there's this idea that when, when we become Christians, when you put your faith in Jesus, when you make him the Lord of your life, when you start following Jesus, there is something very supernatural that happens behind the scenes and things that we don't even realize sometimes. But what happens is when we accept this relationship with Jesus, we are all connected. We are all unified supernaturally because of what was accomplished on the cross of Jesus Christ by what he did for us. And so we are all connected. We're all unified. And what Paul says is, listen, maintain this unity. The unity is already there. If you said yes to Jesus, then we are connected in, in a very supernatural way. Now, this goes way beyond common interests. This goes way beyond we like some of the same things or we raised our hand at the same time on that last song or, or it goes way beyond that and way deeper than that. It's, it's kind of like the only way that I can really describe it and explain it is if you ever have a conversation, if you're a Christ follower and you've had a conversation with somebody that you've just met and you realize that you're both Christians, there's kind of like this, this Christian moment that happens and you're so excited that that person's a Christian and they're probably so excited that you're a Christian, you know, and there's like kind of like this little, this moment that you have because there's this unity, especially if you're single and they're single, and then you're like, hey, hey, hey right? <laughs> Fireworks, you know? There's, there's, something, there's something supernatural that happens because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, that when we trust Jesus, we are all unified. We are all together. We are all connected. But the first part of this verse gives us an action plan because it's, although this unity exists, there's something that we have to do to maintain it. Because Paul says, be eager to maintain. Be eager to maintain this unity. So the unity is there. As soon as you say yes to Jesus, we are unified together. All of us were unified together, but we need to be eager to maintain this unity, meaning that this unity can start to, to unravel, meaning that the fabric can start to, to kind of pull at the seams, meaning that, that what was once unified can become divided if we're not careful. And this, this word eager, it's, a, it's an active verb, and it's, it's basically to say this, is that we need to work really hard at staying unified with each other. We need to be persistent 
We need to look for opportunities, literally actively look for opportunities to maintain this unity that we have with each other. But why? Why do we have to work so hard for this unity? Why do we have to work so hard for this unity that Jesus himself gave us and this unity in the spirit? Why, 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 why do we have to work so hard for this unity? And the reason is because we have a very real enemy who is working very hard against this unity. We have a very real enemy in Satan who wants nothing more than for us to be divided as Christians, for us in our relationships to have animosity and to have, have uh, unforgiveness in our hearts and, and for us to be completely divided and go against this unity. And the reason why Satan fights so hard against our relationships is because, and I think we miss this sometimes, God's design for our relationships with each other, especially each other as, as Christians, God's design for our relationships with each other goes way beyond just having some commonality. It goes way beyond just sharing a meal with each other every once in a while. It, has, it goes way beyond just, you know, getting along with each other and not fighting with each other. You see, God's design for the relationships that you have with me and that I have with you and you have with other Christians and that I have with other Christians, the design for this relationship is for each other, each of us to treat each other in a way that reveals this relationship that God wants with us. Essentially, what God has in mind for our relationships, the way that you treat me and the way that I treat you, is other people are supposed to see the way that we treat each other, and it is supposed to reveal something way bigger than, hey, those people really like each other. Those people really get along. It's supposed to reveal that God wants a relationship with all of us, it's supposed to stand out. It's supposed to, to not just blend in with the rest of society. In fact, when Jesus has his disciples, his followers, the guys that sold out and sold everything and went and followed him, right there toward the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, he gets them all together, and this is the commandment that he gives them about treating each other. He says in John 13, 35, he says, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. How? If you have love for one another. Jesus is saying this, people, you don't have to tell anybody that you're a Christian. Now, it doesn't hurt to do that. But Jesus is saying, listen, if you really want people to know what you're all about, then love each other. If you really want people to know what you're all about, don't worry about putting the bumper sticker on your car. Don't worry about wearing the t-shirt. Don't worry about carrying your Bible with you all the time. Not that there's anything wrong with any of that stuff, but if you want people to really know what you stand for, the proof is in how you treat each other. Not even the songs that you sing, not even your church attendance, not where you serve and not all the good that you do for the community. If you really want somebody to know what you're all about, you don't have to look any further than the way that you treat other people that trust in Jesus. And so Jesus is very specific. He's saying, listen, if you are going to be known as associated with me, you're going to be known as associated with me because you're going to treat each other like I treated you. You've got to love each other like I have loved you. And we know the extent that Jesus' love goes. And so the command is for us to love that way. Think about the world we live in just for a second. Think about where you work. Think about your friends. Think about the places that you go. Think about just for a moment social media. And think about how much it would stand out if we just started treating each other like Jesus treats us. Just think how much in our society it would stand out if we just determined that we were going to maintain this unity that Jesus worked so hard for us to get 
And we're going to maintain this unity just by loving each other. And this society, man, that would stick out like a sore thumb, wouldn't it? I mean, in a society that is completely me first, right? Me first. I'm only, I only have relationships in my life that benefit me. I only have relationships in my life that I can network and connect with and so that it's better for my business and I can make more money doing that. I'm only in relationships because I need constant support and I need everybody to tell me how great I am and I need all of this and I need this, 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 and this. Those are my relationships. Those are my best friends and my best friends are the people that just pour into me and I need me and I need this, I need this. In a me first culture, in a me first society, how much would it stand out if we loved each other like Jesus and people saw us doing more for other people than we were expecting other people to do for us. In, in this, this culture, in this society where it's, somebody's more interested in, in posting a picture that gets a ton of likes online than in developing real and lasting relationships, what would it look like? Just what would it look like? If we just decided that we were going to take Jesus seriously and we were going to treat each other with love and we were going to treat each other with respect and we're going to do everything we can to preserve the unity of the Spirit and we were going to build the other people up online instead of tearing people down and, and, and dogging them for what they believe, that we're not going to hide behind a computer screen or a phone when we want to connect and reach out, that we're actually going to do that and build real relationships. Man, that would stick out, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, it would stick out in a society where everybody is so opinionated and everybody draws these really hard lines of division. Well, this is what I think, and this is how I vote, and this is what I believe, and this is what I do. In this world that is completely full of just division, I'm on this side and you're on this side. And if I'm on this side and you're on this side, then we can be friends. But if you're on that side, there's no way that I'm even going to talk to you. There's no way I'm even going to hear you out. There's no way that I can even love you because you're so so far over there and it's so far against what I think and what I vote and what I believe. What, what if, what if we just took Jesus at his word and we just started loving each other the way that he loves us, regardless of our political opinions and regardless of posts on Facebook and regardless of the way that we vote and regardless of the way that we think about things? Don't you think that would stand out? Don't you think that in this society, that we wouldn't really have to say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, oh yeah, I follow Jesus. Don't you think people would look at our relationships and say, there is something different about that person right there. There's something different about the way that they treat each other. I'm convinced that if the church, the worldwide church would ever get this, we would not have enough room in all the buildings in America to hold everybody on a Sunday morning because we would love people so much. We would do so much good with, with the relationships that we have. We'd preserve that unity so much. We couldn't keep people away because you can't get that anywhere else, right? And so what if we would stand out so much, so much, if we just loved each other like Jesus wants us to love each other? When people see that kind of care and that kind of love and that kind of unity, we become very transparent. We become transparent that it's not about us. We become transparent that it is literally all about Jesus working through us. That's God's design for relationships. That's what God wants when you and I build community with each other. And don't you know that Satan hates it? Doesn't it just make sense that he would want to do everything he possibly can to try to tear that down? Doesn't it just make sense that Satan, our enemy, doesn't want us to treat each other that way, doesn't want us to have this unity, because he doesn't want anybody coming up to, say, to us and saying, what's different about you? I got to have what you have. He wants people to look at us and say, well, why would I want what they have? Because I have that everywhere else in my life. 
And so he's going to consistently try to drive wedges in our relationships. He's going to consistently try to to bring division to our marriages. He's going to consistently try to to bring division between us and our children and our parents. He's going to continually try to to force himself in between our friendships and the, the, the relationships that we value with offenses and hurt and pride and jealousy. You see, Satan is working actively to try to bring division. And that's why we've got to work hard at preserving unity. And so when Paul says, listen, you've got to preserve the unity. You've got to be looking for opportunities. You have to be on the lookout for ways to preserve this unity that you have in Jesus Christ. And so we have got to treat each other with that in mind. But how do we do that? It's, it's one thing for me to stand up here with the microphone and say, yeah, here's how we should live. And it sounds really good in this cafetorium on a Sunday morning, right? And it's like, yeah. And then we walk out the doors and then life hits. And then you go to work or you go home or you hang out with your friends or your family or whatever it might be. So how, how do we do this? Like rubber meets the road. How, how, do, how are we supposed to live this verse out when Paul says we're supposed to maintain, be eager to maintain this unity? He gives us a little snapshot, Paul, right before he says to, to be eager to maintain of, of the answer to this question. How do we as imperfect people, how, how do we pull this off? Like how, how do you keep caring about a person who doesn't like you? or a person who has completely different interests than you have, or somebody that absolutely just gets on your nerves, or a person who opposes you and wants to frustrate your dreams. I mean, how do we maintain the unity of the Spirit with them instead of becoming hostile and cold and standoffish and sarcastic? That was just for me if it wasn't for anybody else. (laughs) How do we do it? Paul tells us. When he talks about in verse 2, we do it through humility, we do it through gentleness, we do it through patience, and we do it by bearing with one another in love. But too often, we think this kind of thought about our relationships and when somebody's hurt us and when somebody's done us wrong. We think they've wronged me and they don't deserve humility. They've, they've done this, 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 and this, and they do not deserve gentleness. They, they've, they've treated me like this, they've acted like this, they've done X, Y, and Z, and they do not deserve my patience anymore. They've done all these things, and there's no way that they could ever deserve forgiveness from me. If I could be really honest with you, we don't deserve forgiveness either. We don't deserve patience either. We don't deserve gentleness either. We don't deserve any of those things that Paul is asking us to extend to other Christians. We don't deserve that either but Christ decided to give those things to us. We don't deserve the things that Jesus gives us, but he did it anyway. And I love how Paul finishes this thought in, the, in, the, in verse 7. And I think this gives us such perspective. I, I think that this is, is kind of the exclamation mark on this whole idea of we've got to preserve unity. How do we preserve unity? We've got to be eager. We've got to go after it. We've got to work hard. We've got to know that Satan wants to drive us apart. And so we're going we're gonna to try and get everybody unified. We're going to try and love each other like Christ loves us. And we're going to be patient and we're going to show gentleness. And we're going to do all these things. And, and when it gets really, really difficult, here's what we can lean back on. Here's what we can use as our perspective in verse 7 when he says, But grace that was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Grace that was given to you, grace that was given to me according to the measure of Christ's 
gift. And we know that Christ's gift is dying on a cross for our sins. That grace is the gift of Jesus Christ that, that we measure everything against. When we measure our offenses and hurts and jealousy against the measure of the gift of grace, it pales in comparison. All of the hurt that I have from relationships, all of the stuff that I carry around with me because of people that have hurt me or done me wrong, if I try and hold that up and measure that up against the measure of Christ's gift to us, it pales in comparison. I mean, think about how that applies to our lives. Think about how that changes everything for us when we hold on to offenses. Think about how impossible it is to hold on to unforgiveness when I hold it up to the measure of grace and forgiveness of the cross. It's impossible. I can't really defend my hurt in the light of the measure of grace and the pain that Jesus endured for me on the cross. It doesn't even come close. I can't justify my pride. I'm right, you're wrong, compared to the measure of grace of Jesus who humbled himself to the point of dying on a cross. I can't get impatient with somebody in light of the measure of grace that Jesus displayed by laying down his life for me just in case one day I would choose to believe in him. So if you've done something to offend me or hurt me or annoy me, it's my responsibility at that point to own, have enough ownership in the relationship and preserve the unity of our relationship by holding that up against the measure of the gift of grace. I have to, to know that whatever I feel justified in doing, when I hold that up against how much Jesus has done for me, it's not worth it. It becomes really, really difficult to hold on to unforgiveness and bitterness and resentment and offense when I'm trying to reach out for Jesus Christ. It becomes really, really difficult to justify any of that behavior when you realize that Jesus went to the cross for me and for you. I can love you today, even if I don't agree with you, even if we don't get along, even if you annoy me and I annoy you, even if we've had words in the past, even if we just don't like each other. I can love you because I know that Jesus loves me. I can forgive you when you do wrong to me because Jesus forgave me. I can be humble because I know that Jesus is humble. I can be patient with you because I know that Jesus is patient with me. And it gets a whole lot easier to forgive somebody when I think about what Jesus did to secure my forgiveness. And I know that this isn't a really exciting, amening, super popular thing because I feel like this is some deep work that we've got to all look at ourselves and we've got to look into our hearts and we've got to say, okay, God, what am I holding on to? What, what bitterness am I holding on to? What unforgiveness am I holding on to? What did that person do to me? And how can I be eager to preserve the unity of the Spirit? How, what do I need to do? What phone call do I need to make? What, what, what steps do I need to take? What conversation do I need to have? Who do I, what do I need to do? What, what do I need to do to make sure that I am working hard at preserving the unity of the Spirit? Because when we do, I'm telling you, when we do that, and we all just decide we're going to work really hard at making sure that nothing is going to divide us, we're going to make sure that those little things that come into our relationship and start to kind of knock things offline, that we're going to deal with them 
that we're going to confront each other in love, that we're not just going to let things go, we're not just going to, you know, sweep things under the rug, that we're going to love each other enough to have those tough conversations. What does that mean for us? What does that mean that I've got to do today? What does that mean that I've got to do this week? Who do I need to connect with? What needs to happen in our lives to preserve that unity? So let's take ownership. Let's take ownership of these relationships that we have in our lives by by really just working hard to maintain that. And when we do, I know that God is glorified. And when we do, I know that God is magnified. And I know that we are unified when we do that. And we can stand on a solid foundation knowing that as we work our hardest to maintain this unity, knowing that as we do everything we possibly can to love each other and forgive each other, we are standing firmly on the foundation of Jesus Christ and his love for us and his forgiveness for us and his victory over Satan. And so when we win, we're just claiming a victory that's already been won for us. When we preserve unity, we're just claiming something that Jesus paid for a couple thousand years ago. But we've got to do the thing. We've got to to make sure that we are doing everything we can to preserve that unity in our relationships. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.